0: do want to acknowledge um, what we are celebrating this weekend. Who here knows what Memorial Day is all about? Is it just about barbecues and hamburgers and hot dogs? What is it all about, Jesse? Remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. And we should never, ever forget what all the fallen and the price they paid so that we could be here today, basically, worshiping free for now, anyway. So we want to honor those men and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Um But I also want us to go a little beyond that this morning, and I want us to think about Jesus, who really paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, for all the saints. And as we were worshiping, I had this thought, you know, that all these people that have died, that I really do honor today, they were fighting on one side, and they were fighting for that side. They weren't giving their life for the other side. Their whole goal was to kill the enemy. Right? And to win so their side would be the the victorious side and would gain whatever it was they were fighting over. And it made me think about Jesus and in Ephesians where it says that He died for us while we were sinners. While we were still His enemies. In other words, Jesus didn't just give His life, pay the ultimate sacrifice. He did it for the other side. He did it when we were at war with Him. He gave His life. That in itself should make us fall at His feet and acknowledge the goodness and mercy and grace of God that has been extended to every person ever born or ever will be born that has access to that undeserved grace that while we were enemies of God he died for us and i'm i'm saying this because god wants to make this so real to you today that you will also be willing to not hold back to to give to pay the ultimate sacrifice even for your enemies Not just your loved ones. Not just those that love you or are kind to you, but especially for your enemies. Because really, that's what we've been enlisted to do. When we give our lives to Christ, Paul told told a young minister named Timothy, you have been enlisted. And when we give our lives to Christ, we've been enlisted in His army. And he says, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him in a soldier. So, church, this is really a message for you this morning, because... God is calling His church, He's calling His people to remember that, to remember what we have been called to, and that this is war, this is all out, this is everything or nothing. It's never halfway, it's never a third, it's never three quarters. War is all out. And it costs you everything. And that's, you know, as we remember Memorial Day, we understand it costs families. It costs people everything, even their own life. And that was for an earthly reward, an earthly victory. How much more should we be in the reality that this is not a temporary victory we're fighting for? There's souls hanging in the balance on whether or not they're going to be in eternity with God in heaven or in an eternity with hell forever separated from God. So the stakes are way higher than any earthly battle. But as we understand uh, war from history, we understand that, first of all, if you don't enlist in the army, the other side might leave you alone for a while. And so, you know, kind of like us before Christ, yeah, we're... uh, under the domain of the enemy and all, and yes, He is warring against us, but not really because He has us. We're on His side. We're actually fighting against God. We're at war with God when we're of the world, when we're still in the kingdom of darkness. We're still on the wrong side. But yet, when we choose to repent, when we choose to acknowledge our rebellion, and we put our faith in Christ. We're translated from one kingdom to the other kingdom. And so, when you do that, the enemy doesn't say, oh, okay, they're on the other side now. I'll just continue to leave them alone. No. He is going to throw every resource of his army to defeat you, to get you, to stop you From going all out for God. And and, and that will be a continual battle until you see Jesus. So those of you last week that gave your lives to the Lord, you've entered a war. and The devil's not happy with your decision. And so understand that you're going to be warring against an enemy of your soul that doesn't like what you're doing. But don't worry. You're on the side that wins. Okay, You're on the side that wins. Okay? So, understand that, okay? You're at war. The devil hates that you have joined the other side. And then the other aspect is, which I believe, we are in a place in history where we're getting near the end. And what you learn from history of war is that Whenever the enemy knows his time is short, that's when, like, they throw their last-ditch effort to, like, either just get the, the enemy to get discouraged, like, this is too hard. Or, like, maybe we should just make a peace treaty or whatever um, to try and at least settle on some terms with not, you know, avoiding an unconditional surrender. That's the last thing they want to do. And so we see this in history. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and I've shared this uh, before, just thinking about the day we're we're celebrating. And, you know, I thought about Iwo Jima and uh, the memorial they have to remember those men that died there. You know how many men died at Iwo Jima? How many? Thousands and thousands. thirty to 40,000. Battle of the Bulge, 100,000. I'm forgetting the number for Iwo Jima, but it's kind of in that range. The Germans in the Battle of the Bulge knew they couldn't win. Again, they were hoping we'd grow weary. Of the battle. And we were taken flat footed. We weren't expecting what happened. And like I said, 100,000 casualties. 100,000. Jesus said following him meant counting the cost. In other words, we're going to face opposition by enlisting to follow him, and he uses an, uh, an illustration in luke fourteen verse thirty one He says, "What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with ten thousand to meet him who comes with twenty thousand, or else while the other is still a great great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace, so likewise, whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, following Jesus means all out. So, the question I want to put before you today is this. This is the name of the message, I guess. What is holding you back? What is holding me back from going all out? Because, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I'm not all out all the time. I'm just not. I still get entangled in the things of this life. I still get my focus on the wrong things. I still sometimes just want comfort and ease. I don't like the battle at times. Sometimes I just want to sit on the sidelines and take a break. And it's all because I forget the cost that was paid to rescue me. And you're going to see, that's going to be a key and going all out. That If that isn't motivating you, you will grow weary. You won't even want to fight. There'll be no reason to fight. It just won't be real enough to you. So, I want to look at the Apostle Paul, because near the end of his departure, he spoke these words to a young minister, Timothy, that I read to you early, earlier. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. And I'll just repeat it. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Then in 2 Timothy 4, a little further down in verse 3, he talks about a time. And again, we are in a time where I believe the enemy knows His time is short. And it's going to grow worse and worse. And the the battle's going to get more fierce. And we are going to need endurance. We are going to have to be all out. Just like the many saints that have gone before us, that gave their lives so that you and I could hear the gospel. They fought the good fight. Many of them died. Gave the ultimate sacrifice. So we could sit here today, free. Freed from the bondage of sin. Free from the penalties of sin. Free from the pathway of destruction that our lives were on. I thought about that this morning. How many lies were given? There's a chain, you understand that? There's a chain from Jesus to me. When my sister shared the gospel with me, there was a whole chain. There was a whole history. And how many people in that chain died, were martyred, so that somehow, 2,000 years later, through my sister, I'm able to hear the gospel because people fought. They didn't give up. They persevered in the midst of opposition. We've got to remember We've got to remember the price that was paid by Jesus and all the others that have gone before us. Let that be our Memorial Day every day. Because he says in 2 Timothy 4.3, that time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, They will turn their ears away from the truth. They will be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. And, and the picture is alert, sober, just like a soldier, right? A soldier walking around in, in the, the jungle isn't just casually walking around, not worried about booby traps or someone hiding behind a bush. He's alert. He's sober. He understands the reality of the situation and the battle he's in. And that there's someone out there that wants to kill him. You be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, for the time of my departure is at hand. He understands he's getting near the end of his race. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. And we see why He did it in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23. Now, I do this for the Gospel's sake. And we see that struggle in Paul. I think it's in Philippians 3 or 2 where where he says... um, I think I'm getting that wrong, but he says this somewhere. I'm caught between two desires. One, to be with Him. In other words, I just want to go and be with Him. But if it's needful for me, I'll remain behind for you. In other words, for the Gospel's sake, that's the only reason why I even want to be here. And while I'm here, I understand that it's not about my comfort. It's not about what I want. I understand it's going to cost me everything. I'm going to have to endure like a good soldier, just like I'm instructing my young minister, so that others can come into the freedom in Christ that I have found. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And then he uses the analogy of a race. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? This wouldn't go well in our woke society now. Because now, you know, we want everything to be even and You know, we don't want winners and losers. We don't want anyone to feel bad. Well, Paul's saying the opposite. He's saying, no. Everyone, uh, run in such a way that you may obtain. In other words, you need to run like you're going to win. Don't settle for second place. Don't settle for third place. You need to run like you're going to win. And to do that... Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Again, a soldier has to deny himself a lot of things. And boot camp teaches them really how to deny themselves, how to be obedient, how to come under, how to work together that it's not about them. Really, that's one of the goals of boot camp is to take away their identity and to give them a new one. And for us, obviously, it's Christ. He becomes our identity. Now he says, now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Thus, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be Disqualified. So we see faith here depicted as a race with a determined end and a goal. And so in these days we're living in, the enemy is going to throw all he has at us, the church, at God's people, to try and discourage us, to stop us from laying hold, from running the race with all of our hearts. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. Now is the time for us to go all out. So what's holding us back? What keeps us from going all out and running this race with endurance? The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to Him. Or I could say someone that just goes all out for God. Someone that doesn't hold back any part of their life for God. Now that quote came from a, a book I was reading. So I'm going to be quoting out of this book. It's called Revival or We Die. Okay? Because I'm just going to say, without revival, we're not going to go all out. And all that means is God's light so coming upon us, and the Holy Spirit so coming upon us, that we are energized and awakened. To the reality of who he is, to the reality of the fight we're in, and, and the reality of souls that are perishing around us. It heightens everything to its proper place, if I could say it that way. And so that's why we cry out over and over and over God send revival, God send your spirit, like we heard spoken this morning so it says here in chapter 12, this is called Revival Or We Die, it's by Dr. Michael Brown Um, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him and this came from uh, D.L. Moody they were made famous by him but the quote didn't originate with him he added his own amen to it but um He basically, when he heard it, said, that's the guy I want to be. That's in my heart. That should be in all of our hearts. That's the guy I want to be. That's the girl I want to be. I want to be known in hell. I want to know that my life is being lived for the maximum glory of God. I want to be that person. I want to be all out for God. I don't want to hold back anything from God. I want whatever rest of time I have in this world, I want my life to so magnify Christ that many souls are drawn to Him through my life. That God can use me the way He wants to to rescue people that are on the wrong side, that don't understand they're fighting against God. They're headed for an eternity of death and suffering and separation from God. So, he said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. And so, as recounted by this man, Barley, who's the one that spoke it, this was in 1873, he says this, recounting um, how this affected Moody. He said, during the afternoon of the day of the conference, Mr. Moody asked me to join him in the vestry of the Baptist Church. We were alone, and he called the night's meeting at Willow Park and our converse the following morning. And He said, do you remember the words you said? I replied, I well remember our interview, but I don't remember any special utterance. He says, do you remember saying, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to God? Not the actual sentence, I replied. Ah, said Mr. Moody, those are the words that sent to my soul through you from the living God. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with them. When I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed to be, be marked with Moody." The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to Him. Under the power of those words, I have come back to England and I felt that I must not let more time pass until I let you know how God has used your words to my inmost soul. That's my prayer for you all this morning. That something that is said, something God says will get in you and you will have a resolve to be that man or be that woman. That's not going to stop until God does that. That's my prayer for you. What a calling, what an invitation. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man or woman fully consecrated to Him. What is stopping you? What is stopping me? What is it? What would happen if we really sought God like nothing else mattered? I don't know about you, I don't want to look back at the end of my life, my days here on earth, if only, if only I had really gone for it, if only I had really lived for God, if only. What would happen if I believed every divine promise was actually true? If I genuinely lived every hour in the light of eternity, how about every second I remember K.P. O'Hanon saying one time, God, stamp eternity on my eyelids. So that's all I see. What would happen if I really went for it, if I fully consecrated my spirit, soul, and body? I cannot afford to live the rest of my life without finding out. Is that our resolve? What would happen if we shut out every distraction and sought the Lord with all our hearts and with all our souls? What would happen if we said no to everything unnecessary, everything unessential, spending every free hour on our face before God, crying out for breakthroughs, for visitation, for transformation, for empowerment? What would happen if we did that for a week? What about weeks? or months on end. What would happen? What do you think would happen? Revival. We'd be revived. We'd be awakened. What would happen if you stepped out in deeper faith, putting greater emphasis on obedience than playing it safe? What would happen if you gave the Lord more of your heart, allowing Him to share His burden with you more deeply until His pain became your pain and you participated in His travail for souls? What would happen if you pursued holiness as if your life depended on it? Asking the Lord to conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus. What would happen? Well, there'd be I don't know how many are in here, however many are in here, there'd be a bunch of Apostle Pauls running around Grant County. What would that be like? If we had a bunch of Apostle Pauls running around Grant County, what would that be like if you lived with an Apostle Paul? What would that, what, what would that be like if your co worker worked next to an Apostle Paul? What would that be like? I was. I had a store yesterday with Rose and there was someone in there. Um, I'll just say, um, trying to be something God didn't create them to be. And my heart went out to Him. And I stood there, and you know, you, 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 your heart goes out and you pray for Him. But, but I started thinking to myself, Jesus, what would You say to this guy? What would You say? What would You do right now? And I even shared it with Rose. She said, well, he wouldn't call um, him he. I said, well, I think he would. You know, in other words, they might get upset if you don't use the right pronoun. But that's what God's looking for. Boldness. A willingness to be led in such a way that in situations where we might just, I don't know, we're just free and he's got such a hold of us. He's able to use us. At least I prayed for that person. I was pleasant to them. I let them know I cared about them. I tried not to look at them in disappointment or grief. But let's look at uh, Philippians 3 because we're going to see in here what keeps us from going after God like this. And I'll just tell you, I think most of our problem is this, okay? We look way too much at other things, especially ourselves, and we don't look at Jesus enough. You want to know what's holding you back? It's that. You're looking way too much at other things, especially yourself, and you're not looking at Him enough. That's your problem. That's my problem. In Hebrews, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's that all out, running to win. How do I do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says, Consider him who suffered such hostility from sinners, lest you get weary in your souls. And so it's the remembering, it's honoring. You know, it's Memorial Day, it's remembering. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. So we don't forget, remembering, remembering until he comes, reminding ourselves. Of the ultimate sacrifice that would motivate us to also give our lives in that way. That would cause us to want to run with everything we have to give our lives joyfully for the sake of the Gospel. So Philippians 3, he starts off in verse 20, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And I want to say that to you this morning. You need to rejoice in the Lord all the time. And what I mean is rejoice in what He's done for you. Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice in the ultimate sacrifice He paid paid for you. Thank Him constantly for giving His life for you, for laying His life down. Thank you, Jesus, for all the the great and precious promises. Thank you, Jesus, for my inheritance. Thank you, Lord. I have a living hope. Thank you for asking me. And it goes on and on and on and on. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't forget. What he's done for you. Finally, brother, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, for me to write these same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. In other words, I don't mind repeating myself. Because this is important. And then he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's talking about those that are trying to introduce the law as a way to still come to God. He's talking about circumcision. Beware of those of the mutilation. And then he says, for we, those that have put their faith in Christ, we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, He's the one. We look at. He's the one we set our sights on. He's the author and finisher of our faith. In our flesh, there is absolutely nothing in us we can look to, trust in, pride ourselves on. We have no confidence in the flesh. Now, he's obviously majoring on his Hebrew heritage, his Pharisaical upbringing, his uh, way in the law, living his life according to the law, which we're going to see here in a minute. But we'll see, he goes on including all things, anything. So he goes on here. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless so this was before his encounter with Jesus that's who he was and the picture i had was this upcoming star who was being taught under one of the most famous leaders of his time he was probably looking forward at prestige as a place of honor You know, he was being used as he thought to come against this new sect of Christians. He was going to right the wrongs. Didn't realize he was on the wrong side. And so I pictured Paul on his horse riding to Damascus, going to kill Christians. You know, just a picture of highness. And just living in pride and boasting in all my accomplishments and And boasting and priding myself on my heritage and who I am and my status in the world. All the things that the flesh loves about the world. And then God comes and literally knocks him off his horse. And we'll see what happens because of that, because now we see what happens after that encounter. And this is what should happen. When any of us encounter God, we should be knocked off our horse. And the first thing we realize is, I'm fighting against God. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's death. And, and Paul, in that instance, when, when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He's like, what are you talking about? You're fighting me, Paul. And it's hard to kick against the goats. And the picture is an ox, a stubborn ox, that they have to put literally, it's like a nail, because he keeps kicking. And he keeps kicking the nail. Even though he's getting hurt, he keeps doing it. That's what we're like. That's what a sinner is like. Just hurting themselves. Over and over again, bent on going their own way. That was Paul. Jesus said, why are you doing that, Paul. And he falls on his face. What do I do, Lord? That's the proper response. What do you want me to do? And then he had three days to think about what he had done. God left him blind for three days, alone, to let the reality of what he had done sink in, but also the reality of the mercy of God that had come to him amazing. So now verse 7, he says, what things were gained to me, now I have counted them lost for Christ. In other words, he lived in the reality of Jesus Christ and him crucified. What it meant to him personally. It has to be personal, people. It has to be real to us. How bent we were on sin. How bent what a rebel we were, but yet God had mercy on us. He stopped us in our tracks. He somehow got our attention. He He somehow revealed Himself to us. And He didn't kill us. He gave us grace. He forgave us. But then He said, okay, now you're in my army. I got something. And He told Paul, I'm going to show you how much you've got to suffer for my name's sake. And so Paul goes on, verse 8, Yet I indeed count all things lost. So now he includes everything, anything about his life. Anything, everything about my fleshly life. I counted all lost. For what? The excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. I just tasted of his mercy, of his goodness. I see, I get it. He is the pearl of great, precious price. He's worth it all. I have nothing else to cling to. There's nothing else I want now. So everything else, it's just become nothing to me. For the excellence of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Other translations call it dung. We all know what that is, right? Right? Those cow patties in the field? That's what our old life should look like to us. Done. So the next time you see that, say, yep, that's what my life in the flesh is. You going to pick it up? No, leave it there. Leave it there. I count him as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So, again, what were all those things for Paul? His prestige, his learning, his status, which I'm sure came with a comfortable lifestyle. Um, how about friends and family that he lost because of his commitment to Christ? See, we don't understand. We have to really think about what did Paul actually lose? What does it cost in you and I? What would all things be for me personally? I had to sit down and think about it. What would that be for you? All things, personally. What would that mean for you? Is it worth suffering the loss of all those things that you might know Christ? And then he goes on, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God, by faith. In other words, he understands. I only have one thing to cling to in life. I get it. There's no other way to God for me. There's nothing I can do There was nothing I could do. And if anyone understood that, he did. So he clung to Jesus. You are my righteousness. There's no hope outside of you. If it wasn't for your blood, there'd be no hope for me. If He didn't clothe us with His righteousness, we would not be able to stand before God even. We wouldn't be able to enter into His presence. Paul, he says in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I have nothing else but to cling to Jesus and Him crucified for me. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 2 when he says in verse 1, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with the excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We have so many personalities now in the church. And we as people are naturally drawn to people. Why? Because we want to be identified with them. In some way or form, or we want to be like them. And so we have a lot of personalities and different things about different people we like. And, you know, and I think about, you know, people that maybe are funny, or they're just gifted orators, or they're really smart, and, you know, the intellect likes it. And Paul is saying, I don't want to come to you with anything that originates with my flesh. Because I understand what it was like to operate that way. My heart, my goal is always to keep it about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because without that, all of us are nothing. We have nothing. That is what we need to focus on over and over and over again. And remind ourselves that He is the only one that deserves glory. He is the one I want people to see when I speak, when I live my life before them. I want them to be drawn to him. I don't want anything about me to draw people. I want it to be him. And so he says that your face should be in the wisdom, of, that your face should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Why? So that you'll know him so that you'll know Him. And he goes on what that means. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. That I may know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. If by any means I may attain from the resurrection of the dead. God wants you to know Him in the same power that raised him from the dead. And I don't think our minds can comprehend what that actually means in its totality and its effect on our lives and its effect on our eternity. That's why he says if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, our faith is futile. There's no substance to it. But because Jesus rose from the dead, all the promises, everything... The Gospel promises is ours. Romans 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know, as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus, or Christ, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And that's a picture of being born again. It's a picture of the life of God coming into your vessel and awakening you and making you alive to Him. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God gave us life. Ephesians one fifteen. says, when Paul prayed for them, he said, When I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I didn't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance of the saints, This is something we have to remind. This is part of remembering and reminding ourselves what He has done, what is ours. What is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. You understand all the power of heaven is at your feet. It's there for you. And it's obtained by faith. It's simply obtained by believing God for it. It's all by faith. It's all because of what He did. That same power is available. Ephesians 2 says, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together, made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans eight, talking about the Spirit in verse eleven, who raised Jesus from the dead, that dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we're not debtors to live to to the flesh, to, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children then we are heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Get your head around that. Heirs. Joint heirs. Equal heirs with Christ. That will help you embrace the suffering. That will help you endure the light affliction that we have to endure right now. When you understand this, Because he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us. And if you think about the heroes of faith, how did they do it? That they remembered, they understood, they had a living hope in them, they looked to the reward. We have to allow God, again, to stamp eternity in our eyelids. And he goes on, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. So, you know, if you've been enlisted, I'll say to you what Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is about to try you, as though something happened to you. It'd be like a guy training for boot camp And then they sent him out to war. And he's surprised that people are actually shooting at him. What's going on? They're not supposed to shoot at us, are they? Well, yeah, that's what we trained you for. But that's how we are. We're surprised that we're getting shot at. That it's hard. That there's suffering involved. You know, you think about some of these soldiers. Some of them went days without sleep. You know, just the horrible conditions these guys had to go through. I, I remember one guy he says they didn't even wear underwear because of the bugs and the leeches that would get on them. We, we just have no idea what these guys went through. And that was for an earthly kingdom. How much more? How, how many missionaries? How many people have gone through things that we can't even Imagine. But yet they did it willingly, joyfully, understanding that they understood it wasn't about my life in this world. They were willing to die, suffer. I, was, I, I watched something the other night about all the, 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 the apostles and how they all died. And, and I don't know if this is true or not, but when Peter was hung upside down on a cross, supposedly, right after that, they took his wife who was with him and threw her to wild beasts. Because she stood by him and she was willing to die. And you read story after story after story. It's like how do they do that? They get it. They were looking at something else. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. So, beloved, don't think it's strange. But rejoice to the extent that you take that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. This verse always got me in Hebrews 11 about Moses. Because a lot of times, the way the gospel is presented in America is how God's going to bless your life. It's all about the blessings of Christ. Come to Christ, and, you know, He'll bless your life, He'll enhance your life, He'll make things better. There's some truth in that but listen to what moses said in hebrews 11:24 by faith moses when he became of age refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of god than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So he saw the suffering better than all the riches. And we understood he had all that and walked away from it. Amazing. Paul saying, I want to participate. I want to identify with Christ in that way. I want to live my life. I want to suffer the way he suffered. For my salvation. I don't, it doesn't, my position doesn't matter. My comfort doesn't matter. My reputation doesn't matter. My plans don't matter. I am willing to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of Christ. Why? Because as we do that, people, Paul says in Second Corinthians 4, as we carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, the life of Jesus is manifested in our body. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And, you know, I want to say, that's why I cry out, God, I want to be that man. Because I just want me to be gone, and I want Christ to be. I want Him to be glorified through my life. I want His power. I want everything He is working in its fullness through my life. So that's the cry. God, I want to be that man, Lord. I want to give everything. I don't want to hold back from you. You deserve it, Lord. And I was praying this morning, God, bring me more and more into the reality of my first love, where I first understood that when I walked away from everything. Lord, I picked some things up. God, remind me of the love, the mercy You had on my life, remind me over and over so every day, every moment, I'm not holding things. I'm freely, joyfully throwing them at Your feet and saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use me, Lord. I don't care what it costs me. Use me. Let my life glorify You whatever time I have left here on the earth. And then He says, not that I've already attained or am ever perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself as apprehended, but I do one thing. I forget those things that are behind. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And for Paul, that meant death. In Acts 21, a prophet, Agabus, came from Judea. And he took Paul's belt and he bound it his own hands and feet. And he said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so when they heard these things, uh, both we and those from the place, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul said, well, what are you doing? Why are you weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So not even his own death would hold him back. And right, if I go into war, I'm not going to be a very good fighter if I'm not willing to die. I'm going to turn and run when bullets start flying. But why wouldn't we if we are living in the reality of what He did for us and how He laid His life down for us while we were still His enemies. What excuse, what reason could we give to hold back anything from Him in the reality of that? And I want to I say this to you as I close. This isn't a matter of earning something from God. You know, like I'm going to torture my body. I'm going to twist God's arm. I'm going to fast and pray, sacrifice until somehow I get that heavenly blessing. That's putting confidence in the flesh. But it's really, as he says here, a holy partnership. It's a co-working. It's a putting ourselves in that place of intense commitment complete sacrifice, so we belong wholly to Him. It's about surrender. It's about giving everything I am to Him and living in that moment by moment. If you do that, He'll produce those other things. It'll be His power working through you. If you try to do it in your flesh, you will last a few days. It's about surrender. It's about laying hold and having faith in what He's done for you. And keeping your eyes on Him. Remember what I said in the beginning. Stop looking at yourself and look at Him. And remember what He's done and what He's promised to you. So, what would happen if all of us became like Apostle Pauls? What would happen to our families? What would happen in our homes? What would happen in this community? What would happen... When we go to work, what would happen if we lived our lives if we just didn't hold back? That's what God is called us to. There really is no other option for a follower of Christ. This is normal, actually. This is what it means to follow. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. So, what is holding us back? We need personal revival. We need revival. The world is waiting. Grant County is waiting. Your family is waiting. Your co-workers are waiting. All you come in contact with in this world are waiting. So, as we close, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. I want you to think about all the heroes of faith that has gone before us. No matter how much he or they knew the Lord or experienced the Lord, there was always something in them that wanted more. And that's what we hear. I press on. I'm not satisfied. I haven't obtained yet. And so I just want to say to you, don't be satisfied with where you're at. There's so much more God wants to do for you and through you. And, and He is calling us. That word this morning is God saying, I want to do this. And, and it's not about you. It's for my namesake. It's the promise of the new covenant. I was thinking of Ezekiel 36 when he said that. This is all for His namesake. This is all for His glory. It has nothing to do with us. So what is holding us back? One of these days, we're going to get sick and tired of the spiritual bankruptcy we live in. And we're going to say, Lordy, Lord, Lordy, I'm ready to get serious. Start your work with me. Let the world see who Jesus really is through me. Lord, I thank You that your voice is calling. It's looking. Your eyes are looking to and fro in the earth, Lord. You're looking for those people that are saying, Lord, here I am. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. And Lord, I know most of us here want that. But I think we get frustrated sometimes. We we know we're not that. And we lose heart, we get discouraged, but Lord, Your encouragement to all of us is to fix our eyes on You. To lay aside whatever it is that's hindering us, whether it's sin, or whether it's just the cares of this life, the distractions that cause us to lose sight, that cause us to forget the ultimate sacrifice You prayed, the mercy that you, 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 uh, You gave for us, Lord, the mercy You gave to us. and our giving of ourselves to you, Lord. So I just pray for this body. I pray for everyone here that has put their faith in you, Lord, that you would just remind them that something that was said today would get into their souls, would get into their hearts, and they would go after you with reckless abandonment, Lord, and say, Lord, I'm going to be that man. I'm going to be that woman. And Lord, I'm trusting you to do that. And I thank you for it, Lord. I thank You for helping me. I thank You for reminding me, Lord. So God, have Your way in this body, Lord. Have Your way in all of us so that You can be glorified, so that we can see Your glory poured out in this county, in the schools, in all the places we minister, in our homes, Lord, so that men and women and children can be drawn to You, Lord. So we thank you, God, and we trust you to have your way. In Jesus' name.